So a little bit of background really quick before we jump into chapter 5 here. We've been considering Corinth, very carnal, fleshy uh, city, and even within the church, okay, they had their struggles, very uh, much a carnal mentality, even when it comes to their um, faith, Christianity. Now, a little bit of background, in Corinth, they had their temple that was dedicated to Aphrodite, okay, you guys have heard of her, okay, they had some thousand plus uh, female priests there that were actually religious prostitutes. That was their religion, very uh, perverse in a lot of ways. Sirens in Greek mythology, how many of you guys have heard of them before? Okay, sirens combine these women in birds in various ways with or without wings, but they played a variety of music, okay, musical instruments, especially harps. So the term siren song refers to an appeal that is hard to resist, but that if heeded will lead to very bad results. Even Leonardo da Vinci wrote of the siren saying, the siren sings so sweetly that she lulls the mariners to sleep, then climbs upon the ships and then kills the sleeping mariners. So this is something that the Corinthians believed in, okay? They had a lot of temptations in the day, a lot of sexual immorality among them. I'd like to pose the question, are things that different today? I would say not, guys. Okay, they were known as being Corinthianized, okay? Um, and even today, we can say that of the church. Do you guys know that pornography is out of control? The pornography industry, guys, the revenues of sex and porn industry today, just in the United States, it's bigger than the NFL. They make more than the NFL, more than the NBA, more than Major League Baseball combined. Okay? It is out of control. Worldwide industry, guys, sales are well over $100 billion every year. So some perspective, guys, the porn industry made more last year than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Apple, and next Netflix combined. Pornography, it's a scary thing. It's wrecking lives. It's destroying marriages. We see it all the time. Why? Because there's lying. There's trust issues. There's hurt. Forgiveness, how many times? Feelings of being cheated or a lack of self-worth. I'm not good enough. It's corrupting our world. And it's also corrupting the church, guys. So that's why I'm thankful Paul was so straightforward and so clear for us this morning here. So, um, and I believe without taking action, the problem is just going to get worse and worse. We are going to have some serious talk this morning as we go through these scriptures about real life, okay? Uh, issues that are going on around us. Um, statistically within the church there's over 50% of men okay who are addicted to pornography and women are not excluded from that it's about 17% uh, with women within the church so a serious talk about bondage addiction and trauma that so many people are struggling with today so hopefully those who are struggling with this okay a family it can be a husband it can be a wife it can be a son a daughter a uh, single man or woman, okay, you're going to be challenged. But the hopefully in the challenge of what God lays before us this morning 
It's really going to open up areas in our lives to him to come in, to set free, to bring healing. That's what our God does. And many of us can testify to that. So how do we deal then with sexual immorality within the church today? I would say let's do it like the Apostle Paul did it. Do you guys think that's maybe a good idea? Yeah. He, he, did, he, you know, <laughs> he went for it straightforward here. So a simple outline as we get into chapter 5 here, considering sexual immorality, it needs to be dealt with for a few reasons. And Paul lays out it's for the offender's sake, first of all. Secondly, it's for the sake of the church, the church's sake, and also for the world's sake. So let's take a read here in regards to the offender's sake. Verse 1. He says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. So the, it's not even named among unbelievers. That a man has his father's wife. And you're puffed up. He's writing to the church. You guys are puffed up by it. And you have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present. Him who has done this deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, I want you guys to note with me here, Paul not only exposes the man's sin, but the churches as well. So church, we have a responsibility to those next to you. Okay, We are the body of Christ. We are to lovingly serve one another. You see, the Corinthian church was blind to their liberal tolerance. Hey, we're all good. <laughs> Anything goes, everything's fine. Isn't it just about loving each other and just being happy? But the blindness, guys, really, there's a need for reprimand here. And that's what Paul is saying. This church was permitting rather than confronting. Okay, We want to lovingly confront, don't we? Because if we really love people, if we really love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to warn them. We're going to be speaking truth in love to them. Now, if you look at the first part of verse 1 with me, what's the sin scope here? Well, Paul says it's actually reported. In other words, the news has gotten out. People know about this. So the sin was well known. It was on the front page of the Corinthian Quarterly. Okay, And then also in verse 1, what's the specific sin? It's sexual immorality. So used generally here, it's any sexual activity outside of legal marriage. But how do we know what's acceptable? Well, sex, you know, within the borders of marriage, guys, and that being one man, one woman for life. So the last part of verse one, what sin's extent? I want you guys to catch that one little word has there. Because this is huge. It's a very important word in the text. The present tense here emphasizes a continual possession. It keeps going on. So they were living as man and wife without being married. They were living together, playing 
house here. So this was forbidden by the Old Testament. The rabbis of the day forbidden it. And guys, it was prohibited even when Roman law. It's not even named among the Gentiles. It's wrong. So while the Corinthian believers were complacent, the godless Gentiles, they were repulsed by this sin. And guys, don't you think it's pretty bad when the world <laughs> hears something that Christians are doing and they go, ooh, you know it's pretty bad if it gets to that point. And look at verse 2, they're puffed up. What does puffed up mean? They're being arrogant. Being arrogant, boasting and being tolerant. And isn't that our society today? We're tolerant about everything. Anything can go, except for one thing I've kind of been catching for many years now. Except for you Christians who just want to stand on the word of God. You actually want to believe your faith. You guys, we're tolerant of everybody except for you. Have you guys kind of caught that too? We see that on the news all the time. What's going on? So, they're puffed up. The presence of this immoral man should have turned this feast into a funeral and have rather mourned. Did you guys catch he said that? You guys should be mourning over this. And then in verse 3, Paul judges the situation of, of this according to what God has said. Because we all have opinions. Okay, Opinions can differ. Even within Christianity, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that have some very different views on things. But you guys have heard me say over and over again, it doesn't matter what we think. Our opinions, who cares? What does God actually say? And isn't that exactly what Paul does? This is what God says. That's what matters. So he doesn't ask for some church bylaws or church traditions or church constitutions, right? You can jot down 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. He says there, test all things, hold to what is good or hold fast to what is good and abstain from every evil. You also can jot down John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgments. Some people say Christians shouldn't judge. Well, the Bible tells us to judge, which we're going to get into even more this morning, but it needs to be a righteous judgment. And where is right judgment going to come from? Again, it's not going to be our feelings, our tolerance, our cultural bent. It's going to come from what God has declared because he alone is right. And his ways aren't always ours, but he is right. And that's a big, oh, <laughs> I'm really trying not to go places this morning because we could so easily get sidetracked. But I do just want to frame this just for a second with you guys. The reason why culture has become tolerant of everything and is so wishy-washy and people get so easily offended about everything today, there is no absolute authority today. You say this and you get your authority from what? Oh, well, my authority comes from this. There's no absolute authority today. And when we remove ourselves from God, who is the ultimate authority, because he is God, we are his creation, he gets to call the shots, we removed God from our schools, we removed God, asked him to leave our lives, we don't want anything to do with you because we want to be our own gods, we want to call our own shots, we want to make our own commandments. When we do that, guys, what are we left with? 
And this is where society finds itself today. What is right? So let's take a look at verse 4 and 5 again. Okay, now Paul here gives specific instruction and guidelines. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, that sounds a little harsh. <laughs> Give this guy over to Satan? What? Are you being serious? Well, let's unpack this a little bit, okay? First of all, I want us to catch that he doesn't call for the church leaders, but he exhorts who to do this? The congregation, okay? Apply correction in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you guys need to be empowered, okay? It's the congregation. You as believers are to address that. Because sometimes there are issues and every, you know, People come to me like, hey, pastor, what are you going to do about this? You know, what authority do I have? You know, I have authority that God's given to me to be an under shepherd and to serve. But again, in situations like this, it's a congregational thing. So how did it become a congregational thing? I want you guys to jot down Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17 with me because God makes it very clear in his word how, to, how we're to address sin within the body of Christ. Listen carefully, I'm going to read, but I also want us to keep in mind the final step of the church, okay, when it's to be given to church discipline. Listen, he says here, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Did you guys see the first step? It's a one-on-one -on -one thing. But if he won't hear, and again, this is a brother in Christ, okay? But if he will not hear, you take along one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And then if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, okay? In small churches knew everybody that was Corinth. there was a small group of believers there but if he refuses even to hear the church let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector so how is the church to treat him there's three specific instructions for discipline when there's perpetual sinning in a christian's life first deliver such a one to satan so excommunication perpetual sinning Christians or release them to Satan's dominion, which is what? The world, right? And then you guys see in verse 2 here with me, taken away, okay? And verse 13 tells us, put away. So it seems to suggest here that there is some spiritual safety within the fellowship of the local church. That's what I'm seeing here. This should be a safe place for us, okay? The influence of sin should not be within us, okay? We are the body, and we're going to get into that more fully as we go through this this morning, too. And also, there's a vulnerability to Satan's attacks, okay, to those who are on the outside. This should be a safe place for you and I. And we're exhorted in Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 8, to be sober, to be vigilant, because our adversary, who? The devil, right? He walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what he wants to do. And you think about compromise within the church. When sin does go unchecked, it's going to affect the whole eventually. 
I've seen this firsthand within churches. It happens. Second thing, guys, I want us to catch when it comes to instructions concerning discipline. Did you guys see giving over to Satan for a purpose? Not just because you blew it, you messed up, you wouldn't repent. We're just going to give you to Satan. But there's a purpose that they're to be given over. Did you guys catch it? For the destruction of the flesh. You got a flesh problem, a sin problem. It needs to be destroyed. It needs to be done with. So this may include physical death. We know of uh, 1 Corinthians 11.30, 1 John 5.16. Or it refers to the defeating a sinner's fleshly desires by letting Satan push those passions to extremes, crushing, you know, in such a way of anguish that the sin, the, the sinner's sin is actually destroyed. Now, and I've seen that play out firsthand in a lot of people's lives, okay? You run with the devil, it, it's hard, okay? You're going to be brought down. Your sin's going to destroy you to a point where instead of enjoying it any longer, wow, I'm finally crushed by it. I'm finally to a place where I'm willing to repent and turn to the Lord and forsake it. I've actually come to hate that sin that I once delighted in. In. Okay, and this is what happens, and this is why Paul's instructing in such a way. And then the third thing, he says that the spirit may be saved, and that is the goal. The goal is not punishment. I hope you guys are seeing and rightly dividing the word here. It's not punishment. This is only a means to an end, and that end is what? Restoration. That is the heart of our God. So if there is ever church discipline, the hope is always the restoration of that brother or sister. That is the purpose, and that needs to be our heart, okay, when we do lovingly correct people. So the goal, not to break, but to make the erring believer, not to be vengeful, but to be curative. So once a change of mind and heart is gained, congregation should welcome the prodigals back home with open arms. We are called to do that. Paul actually tells the church, this is his first letter to the Corinthians, but don't we read in 2 Corinthians, he's told in, in regards to this very situation, chapter 2, verses 6, 7, and 8, hey, you're to receive this man back. He is now repented. Welcome him back. Okay? So... Do you guys see um, here for the, the believer's sake, okay, the offender's sake? Now let's move on to verse 6, which now speaks to the church's sake. There's a purpose here. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread, with sincerity and truth. So Paul uses some illustrations of leaven to describe the church's refusal of dealing with sin. Now, this pinch of leaven, man's sin, okay, can leaven the whole bunch, the entire congregation. So it's, it, the, the little part affects the whole is what he is saying. It's kind of like one you know, drop of fall water will infect that entire glass of water. 
or you guys ever have one bad tooth? <laughs> it's the entire mouth, right? Or one drop of poison within the bloodstream will kill you. So one saint can corrupt a whole congregation is what Paul is saying here. So we are a part of the body of Christ. Directly, what we do affects others. Okay, it's going to affect each other for good or for bad. So can we just, can we let it go? No way. It must be dealt with. That's what Paul is saying here. Okay. In the cover of my Bible, on the first page, yep, I have my personal holiness is the best way that I can serve my church family. That's not just a conviction as your pastor. That's a conviction from God as your brother in Christ. Our personal holiness. Does that come easily, guys? The sanctification process, man, it's ongoing. You know, I wish we got saved in a week later. Whoo! Fully sanctified, all good. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. Okay, we are a work in progress to the day we go home to be with Jesus. But we need to be growing. We need to be walking uprightly. Okay, we need to be holy as he is holy. Yeah, we all trip, we all fall. But are we willing a righteous man will get back up, right? He will repent. He will turn. And I really do have that conviction, guys. I could be the best teacher in the world. But if my personal holiness isn't right before the Lord, it's going to impact you guys. And that is something that I carry heavy on my heart. And I would appreciate prayers as I pray for each and every one of you guys. You guys would pray for me on those lines. Because what Paul is saying here, it just makes sense. It is God's way. Check out what he talks to concerning this feast in verse 8. Keeping the feast. Well, how? Do you guys know that day one of the Passover feast, that they would light a candle? And then they would go and they would search the house for what? For leaven. Okay, where's a little bit of leaven in the house? We're going to do that too on Good Friday. So I hope you guys come out for the Seder. It's going to be awesome. Um, but they would go and they would search every nook and cranny of the corners of the house to make sure that they got every little bit of the leaven removed. So today, guys, at Passover, the Jews still put bread in the corners and they'll have the kids go because they want to teach their children how important it is that, hey, we got to get the leaven out. We can't have any place for it because it will wreck <laughs> um, if it's left. So we need to remember, guys, we can't enjoy the feast of fellowship with Christ before taking a candle and examining our heart of sin. And do you guys allow God to do that? Do you guys even go as far as King David where he said in Psalm 139, God, search my heart. And if there is any wicked way in me, would you show me that? Because we kind of deceive ourselves sometimes, don't we? Well, it's not that bad. You know, I know others, they're way worse. <laughs> no, there might be things we're even blind to. God, show me. So we need to remember, guys, um, just the benefits of fellowship with, with Christ, to enjoy them. That's what we've been created to do. But you can't have the benefits of fellowship without responsibilities. Would you guys say amen to that? That just makes sense. All right, so we see why this is important for the church's sake. Now let's talk about the world's sake. 
Should we care about the world as believers? Yes. Why? Because our God so loved the world. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father. He loves this world. Look at verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual and moral people. Verse 9. Yet, I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners, idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, there's a lot here that Paul's laying out for you and I. So this is a sin that's in a believer's life. Did you guys catch that? He makes a clear point to that. So it is far worse than the sin of those who are unbelievers. You see in verse 9, guys, it's referring to his first list that he wrote to them. He clears up the misunderstanding of it in verse 10 for us. But in verses 9 and 11, he says, keeping company with them. Literally, it's mixing together to mix up that should not be happening. It means uh, in a, to have an association intimately with. So I think the key word really is intimately. The present tense is talking about this regular association. So it's someone who's named a brother, someone who claims Christianity, okay? Not even to eat with them, okay? It's not just limited to what we do at the Lord's table in communion as believers, but it's table fellowship also, which is very intimate. I think checking up on a brother or sister who's fallen into an addictive sin, unrepentive, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're exhorted to is don't keep them in that inner circle. Don't have regular fellowship with them. And there's a purpose for that, which we'll get to in a moment, okay? And there should be those. How many of you guys know a Christian who've walked away? They're loving this world more than the Lord, and they're not willing to repent of their sin. Yeah, and how many of us check in with them from time to time? I got a handful of people that I do, you know? But it's one of those things we're exhorting Scripture. They shouldn't be our buds. We shouldn't be having intimate fellowship with them and saying, hey, it's all good. Continue to cheat on your wife. Rad. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Look at verse 10. He talks about the covetous here, okay? Uh, one who seeks to fulfill an insatiable desires at whatever cost or whatever expense to others. Stay away from those people. Is covetousness a problem today in the world? Oh, yeah, isn't it? Is it a problem within the church? Yeah. Sometimes it's easy to point to that sin or to that sin. Paul said, hey, I wouldn't even know about being covetous unless it was for your law. That's one thing the word of God does. It will open our eyes. It will help us see. He also mentions a reviler here. This would be an abusive person who attacks others with abusive language. 
we're not to do that as believers. I see within the church today, Christian programming that's out there, slandering people on their talk shows. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. Can we speak truth without slandering? Absolutely. But when we begin to slander God, to be, to be a reviler, to be abusive, that type of language should never come off our lips as believers. So who should we stay away from? The world? No. That's not what God is telling us. Who should we discipline? Those who are perpetually sinning, okay? Believers, Christians, who are stubbornly continuing on in their sin. Now, some Christians like to, uh, to scrub up others, right? They look forward to scrubbing. Uh, this is my gross fish tank this last week. And uh, my little man, Finn, went to town to take the scrubber out and scrub it. Do you think he likes scrubbing? That algae is gross. It is hard to get. We, we went and got another. Our, our, our allergy eater died. So that's why the tank got so gross, right? We got another one now. But we cleaned up the tank really good first, okay? But I, got, I want us to remember what Jesus calls us to, okay? He calls us primarily to be fishers of men, not cleaners of tanks. Amen? We're called to grab a fishing pole instead of a scrubber. <laughs> we need to be going fishing, sharing the good news with people. Because let me tell you what, once you get caught for Jesus Christ, who now lives within you? The Holy Spirit. Who begins to sanctify you? The Holy Spirit. Okay? We're, we're not called to do the cleaning up. God does that in us. So I want to encourage you guys, put down the scrub brush and pick up the fishing pole couple quick things just to recap this chapter before we jump into chapter six overlooking flagrant sins guys it's not gracious but it's dangerous okay the mentality of a brother or sister if you see them in sin you just say hey good for you enjoy your freedoms in christ that's not the loving thing to do hey bro this is not god's best for you and he, he paid a great price you've been set free man walk in the newness of life encourage so also we see that rebuking sinners, okay, sinning believers, it's not optional, but it is essential for the church. Also dealing with these situations should be, or shouldn't be punitive, but it's corrective. Restore such a one, that's the goal. Restore is actually a surgical term if you study it out, okay? It's, it's, it's a, a term that's used for setting a bone or a joint back into place. Also worrying about sin internally, Okay, not externally. Christians' uh, discipline is really a family affair. So I want to encourage you guys, again, stay pure from the polluted world. It is important to maintain both personal and corporate holiness. I want you guys to take a look up here at 1 Peter 2 with me, verse 11. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. These are believers. We're just passing through this world. Okay? abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul having your conduct honorable among the gentiles the world is watching in on you christian as you profess christ they're looking in they're watching us shine for jesus so on to verse or chapter six this morning dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints 
Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Now, which angels are those guys? The fallen angels, okay? And aren't you guys kind of excited that we get to judge them one day? Yeah, because they stink. All right, how much more? Things that pertain to this life. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to the law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. So St. Litigation, right? The patron saint of lawsuits, okay? <laughs> no, that's not what it's talking about. Okay, state of mediation. That's what we should be doing as believers, guys. We are saints to litigate some matters. Okay, saint litigation, not secular lawsuits. I want to note six things or six, six questions actually Paul comes up with. Do you not know? He says that in verses 2, 3, 9, 15, 16, and 19. Do you not know? Do you guys know how many Christians don't know about, <laughs> about things? Okay. Uh, just over a year ago, I had two brothers. One brother was going to court to sue the other brother. And I'm just like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> you both are believers in Jesus. You shouldn't be doing this, you know. But both of them being stubborn in pride, just forget it. We're going to the court. We're going to let them decide. And that's what Paul's saying. We shouldn't go to the world with some matters. So dealing with these situations... Um, we really need to come back to what the word says. Now, I want to share a little background with you guys first before we go into detail here. William Barclay tells in his commentary, okay, he said the Greeks, okay, so this would include the Corinthians, were characteristically uh, litigious people. The law courts were one of their chief entertainments. In the Greek cities, every man was more or less a lawyer and spent a very great part of their time either deciding or listening to law cases. Sounds pretty much like the same it is today in our country, right? Okay, If we're not in litigation, we're, we're watching it. How many times are we tuning in and watching the news? How is this playing out? Okay, Even my kids, you guys want to know what's going on in the Supreme Court? All the Churchill kids actually were listening to oral arguments on a regular basis. They know what's going before the highest courts of our land. They're aware of what's going on. And a big part of it is not just, ooh, we got to know. <laughs> big part of it is we want to be wise in the day and age in which we live. We want to be praying about the things that are happening. But it's one of these things the Greeks were known for taking it all in all the time. You know, and our courts today are very busy here in America. I want to share some more scary stats with you guys this morning. If the pornography ones weren't bad enough, we have over a million lawyers in the United States. Okay. Lawyers aren't bad. It's just crazy that we need that many, right? 
So according to the American Bar Association, there's more per capita than any other country, okay, here in the United States. There's one new lawsuit every two seconds in our country. Think about that. Another lawsuit, another lawsuit, another lawsuit. That's crazy. There's one lawsuit for every 12 adults. So how many civil lawsuits against businesses are filed each year? About 20 million. The United States as a country has the highest number of lawsuits in the world. You guys know that 94% of the world's lawsuits are here in the United States. Wow. So if I happen to mention as we study the book of Corinthians, there's a lot of similarities to what the Corinthians were going through and facing, much like us here in the United States today. It's because it is, okay? Um, 70% of the world's lawyers reside or live here in the United States. And you guys ready for some good news? Paul offers here not only the problem, but he gives us the solution. And I'm so appreciative of this. Do you guys see the problem that he laid out for us in verse 1 and 7? And the number one problem is they were going before or going to the law before uh, the unrighteous. Okay, so the problem there in verse 1 so we see the second problem uh, here in verse 7, that they were utter failure in this area. And there's a solution that is given. Okay, take your problem before the saints, we're told in verse 1. So what type of lawsuits? Glad you asked. Look at verse 2 and 3 here. It says the smallest matters. Okay, so according to verse 2, guys, you can't, you know, can't you deal with some of the small ones? Okay, those that pertain to life. A.T. Robertson said this, it means functions related to our life on earth or to the resources of life such as food, clothing, property, etc. Frank Gabelin says this probably not referring to criminal cases because he later teaches in Romans 13, submit thyself to the governing authorities. He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evils. So, what are the saints' qualifications? Well, according to verse 2 and 3, you guys know that we are born again to judge. Okay? We will judge the world, he tells us in verse 2. So, it talks about ruling and reigning with Christ. You guys know that we're going to do that during the millennium? We here at Freedom believe the Bible's literal. We believe that Jesus really is going to come back one day. Okay? We believe we're living the last days because the Bible sure talks about a lot of the things that will be happening in the last days. And we see a lot of those things happening right before our eyes today. And we're also told during the millennium that we will judge the world. So it talks about ruling and reigning with Christ during the millennium. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. They lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And also John says in Revelation, and have made us kingdom of priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And Paul said to Timothy in the scriptures, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And it tells us here in verse three that we're gonna judge angels. And again, I believe that are the fallen angels. You guys can jot down 2 Peter chapter 2, verse four. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, so those would be the ones who went with Satan, rebelled against God, fell, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for the judgment. Okay, so there are these angels who are going to be judged by us. So Paul's logic here is very simple. If God trusts us to judge the 
world and to judge angels tomorrow, can't he, you know, trust us or help us in deciding our petty matters, okay, decisions of today? So saints, you don't have to have, you know, legal expertise, okay, to resolve most disputes. For us guys, we need to know our position in Christ. We need to know biblical principles, and we also need to know how to apply them. And that's something that we should have believers who are mature enough in Christ to be able to do that, to be able to make a simple judgment. So let's talk about the degree of sin that the Corinthian church was in in verse 7. Did you guys see they were to a point of utter failure? Did you guys catch that? You know, that caught my attention. Paul's telling them here, regardless of the outcome of their suits, that they're really kind of losers. You guys, you're utter failures because they warred against each other in front of unbelievers. They had a very poor witness. And that's why Paul called them out is utter failures. Tarnished testimonies, guys. I see it all the time. Throwing our junk before the world to see. Thank you, social media platforms. How much arguing among Christians. If I was a non-believer and I was looking at some of the posts that we've had over the last couple of years with pandemic junk and political junk, if I was a non-believer, I'd be like, I'd want nothing to do with those Christians. They're nuts. They can't get along. Why would I want to be a part of that? That's nuts. Don't do it. That's an utter failure, guys. I don't know about you guys, but we want to exalt Christ. There's so much good that we have in him. He's the savior of the world. He's redeemed us. He's called us to be one, be part of his body. Yeah, brothers and sisters fight, but the world doesn't need to know about it. Okay? I have some children who fight once in a while. I'm not going to come and share with you guys, you know, or post it on Facebook. Oh, they're at it again. (laughs) We just don't do that. Okay? So... What's Paul, what Paul wasn't saying real quick, he wasn't attacking secular courts here. That's not what he's doing. Okay? He's not anti-government. His concern is not the public court system itself, but believers who use it as a floor for their squabbles. So there are steps biblically to resolve. And that's what we care about here. What does God say? What is his method for us? You see, when two believers can't reach an agreement together, we need to go back to that Matthew 18 we read earlier, right? We got to do those steps first. That is biblical. That is God's way. Well, you did me wrong. Let's go to court. (laughs) No. Talk to one another first, okay? If it doesn't work out, take another brother or sister, okay, to testify, hey, this is the right thing, okay? Um, Bring it to the church then, okay? So it should be handled quietly should be kept in a small circle, according to Matthew 18 there. That's what's biblical. Also, to mediate, invite some spiritual believers to meet or to help decide the matter. There should be those in the body who are mature enough to say, yeah, this is right and wrong. This is God's way. This is what he would speak to this. So, also accepting wrong, right? Let yourselves be cheated. So tough teachings to apply here, but 
is it really what Jesus meant when we consider what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38? I'm going to read it to you. Listen carefully. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Christian, are we called to be a little different than the world? Yeah. And we can be free to do so because we're not holding on to the things of this life. We have a hope that is real. We have big picture. You see, better a Christian lose money rather than his testimony and to bring shame to Christ's name. So when are lawsuits permissible? When one party is not a Christian. Of course, a believer should still allow biblical values really to direct our decisions. But if, guys, when an open party doesn't act like a Christian, if they won't allow the church to handle the matter, possible, treat them like an unbeliever. So what's the big idea? Verses 7, 8, you know, lay that out for you and I. It's your witness over winning. That's what matters, guys. We are called to be salt and light in this world. And a lot of times we want what is right at the cost of our testimony. So, better a Christian lose money rather than his testimony bring shame to Christ's name. Let's look at the unrighteous versus the righteous in verses 9, 10, and 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, okay, those are people having sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. I love the bookends of judgment, the first part of verse 9 and the last part of verse 11 there. Okay, they fit perfectly. And I also want us to note that this is for those practicing them. Okay, so this is habitual sin in a person's life. Fornicators, okay. The Greek word is pronos, Pornography, okay? Fornication, sexual immorality, okay? Outside of marriage. Idolaters, okay? Those are guys who like his, you know, electronics more than God, maybe, or a gal who likes her shoes more than God. Adulterers, okay? At least one party is married. Homosexuals, catamite, okay? Males, who submit to one another, sodomites, right? it's a little more hostile, homosexuality, thieves, okay, don't perform uh, to work, um, or they don't do what they've promised, they'll cheat you, covetous, greedy people, drunkards, those who get intoxicated, revilers, again, being abusive, slanderers, extortioners, um, those are people who will cheat one another. They're swindlers. I think maybe some of your translations actually use that word swindler, but extortioners. Now, this morning we were considering in our book club 
the book of Galatians. And you guys know that Galatians is like the most grace-filled book in all the Bible. Like you want to get the grace of God, start studying the book of Galatians. It is beautiful and wonderful. But the grace book even says this, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You guys understand, God's very clear about this. So if we consider pre-salvation, the first part of verse 11, okay, they were riddled with a vice, but in Jesus, they were washed, sanctified, and justified. That's what Christ has done for us. So I wanted to note, guys, they were, there were real transformations that have taken place. When you come to Christ, you're changed. Not perfected. There's still faint, you know, sanctification going in our lives. But how many of you guys can testify and say, yeah, when I came to faith in Jesus, things radically changed. My thinking <laughs> changed. Okay? My desires changed the way I lived. Now I have conviction about things that I didn't care about before. I didn't think they were wrong. Where does that come from? It's the Holy Spirit. There is right and wrong. Okay? So we've been washed. That's a compound word. Okay, to be washed, to be, you know, away, off. It's a verb to wash, to wash off something. Also, it is a perfective force, okay? Um, the preposition there emphasizes the completeness of an action or the verb to wash. So there's a incompleteness. If you are in Christ, does he see you as dirty? No. God sees you as Jesus. The blood he shed, man. You've been washed clean. That's who you are in Christ. Even though we may choose to still sin, guess what? God still sees us as sinless. Well, it doesn't make sense. Well, then you don't get the gospel because that is what the gospel is all about. He who is without sin became sin for us. Man, the great switcheroo, right? And that's who we are now in Christ, okay? We are holy. We are set free. And that's why we're exalted in Scripture over and over again. Don't return. Don't go back. Walk in the newness of life. So Paul says to these Corinthian believers, you have been completely washed of your former filthy and wicked lifestyles. A good example. If you had a son and you forbade him to, you know, don't go in that room because there's a deadly, you know, communicable airborne disease inside there and he decides i'm going to be disobedient and he goes against your command and then he's seized with infection two things happen guys he has transgressed your command and he is also now diseased you can forgive him but that doesn't heal him he needs both a father's pardon and a physician's aid justification pardon sanctification healing that's what our god does is he not the great you know great physician that's our heavenly father guys and he will do that for us it's the blood and the water of christ inside us one atones and one purifies chew on that this week blow your minds so <laughs> they were a new people here there's a new moral code because of it a new mindset a new worldview a new family a new inheritance and they were under a new authority okay that's what we get when we come to christ so if we are not what we once were why should we live as we once lived 
Is that common sense, guys? Right? All right, let's wrap this up. All things are lawful for me, Paul says in verse 12. You guys know that when you're in Christ, you're no longer under the law. Yeah. I have people ask, hey, pastor, do you drink? I'm like, yeah. I drink as much as I want to drink. Do you guys understand what we have in Christ? We're free, but we don't have to any longer. So, moving on. All things are lawful for me, Paul says. But I, and I love this, I'm not going to be brought under the power of any foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and he will also raise us up by his power. And do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Okay? Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And he tells us to flee sexual immorality. This word flee in the Greek is fugo. And the reason I remember that word, I always think, fool, go. Flee, get out of there. And I've been telling my kids since they're little bitties, hey, what do you do when you see a naked woman? And they'll tell you, close my eyes and run, <laughs> okay? Get out of there. So every sin that a man does, it's outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Guys, you're born again of the Spirit, who you have from God, and you're not your own, for you were bought at a price. And what a price that was, guys. Do you know it was God himself laying down his life? That's what it cost for you and I to be redeemed, to be forgiven. What a cost. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Both. You guys know that our bodies are not a bad thing? I hate what our culture has done. Everything is about how we appear. You're too fat, you're too skinny. Maybe your hair too short if you were just a little bit taller, or maybe you're too tall. Man, we've been made in the image of God. God has created our bodies with a purpose. Our bodies are not bad things. We should care for them. We should honor them. Because you guys not know that you are the temple of the living God. And I don't understand it, guys, but before we're glorified right now in this life, our spirits are linked with our bodies. Okay? You guys ever get sick? You're just down and it affects you spiritually? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Why is that happening? It's because they're linked together right now. And because of that, guys, we've been bought, all of us, our bodies included, and they're for the Lord. So take care of yourselves. Honor your bodies, okay? Um, there's a lot more that I'd love to say, but I want to conclude with just a couple different thoughts. Um, what to do? in light of these two chapters. And next time we get into chapter seven, okay, there's gonna be some dealing with marriage and singleness, which will be really good. But what do we do here? Well, the Lord's command, he's commanded us here to live with a pure heart. 
Okay. How many of you guys can purify your own heart? No. God does the purifying. But we have to be in a place positioned to say, hey, here I am. Here's my heart, Lord. Come, sanctify, change me. Because I know my heart can get off at times. But you've given me a new heart that is now moldable. It can change. It's no longer hard as a stone. So please, mold my heart to be more like yours. So he will provide a way, guys, to do that for us. So there is no powerlessness clause here. Maybe a principle we're looking for maybe is found in this following verse. If you guys would look up here, this is out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 14 to you. He says, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God wants to do that. It's not a lot of humility today within the church. Not a lot of praying either. <laughs> My people, man, if they'll repent, if they will humble themselves and call out to me, watch out. Watch out what I'll do. I believe the key, guys, and this is what I want to connect for you and I, because the key is really for us to turn and connect to God. Do you guys catch that's the call? In the context here, to repent is to turn from our wicked ways. We don't fight sin or beat it. I want you guys to catch this. If you've been sleeping all morning, good morning. Time to wake up just for a second. We're almost done. Catch this. We don't fight sin or try to beat it. We turn from it. That's what the scriptures teach us. That's what God asks us to do. Turn from your sin and do what? Seek the face of God. That's what we do, Christian. And that's how we will defeat sin. It's a very simple principle. Turn and connect. And it really provides the answer that so many people are looking for. We're talking about sexual sin this morning and lawsuits and just a whole list of ugly sin right? How can I be set free? You turn away from it and you turn to Jesus Christ. That's how you do it. So fighting with lust in our flesh, it's a waste of time. Both are stronger and more cunning than we are. Instead, we turn to God. We connect with God, asking him to help fight the battle. Because how am I going to go on my computer and look at pornography if I am with Jesus? I'm enjoying him. I'm connected. Oh, can you turn your back for a minute, Jesus? I want to do something over here. It doesn't work. And that's why, guys, we need to be walking with him. We have to be in that intimate relationship with him. So eliminate isolation is another thing. Guys, it's said of mold. Mold thrives in hidden dark places. It feeds on rotting organic matter and is its best in lukewarm environments. So like mold, guys, lust grows strong when it's hidden. It thrives in darkness and it feeds off lukewarm hearts, rotting it over time. For the struggle with sexual addiction, isolation is death. The only way to counter it, guys, is to be transparent with others 
on an ongoing basis. And the reason why I'm going here, guys, this is a problem within the church. I don't know how many, literally hundreds of people I've counseled in regards to sexual immorality. I want us to consider Proverbs 28.13 together. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. He who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And here at Freedom Fellowship, guys, this is what we need to do. When brothers and sisters confess their sins, which we're called to do in Scripture, I want every single one of us, every single person to be met with grace. Okay? Because that is how our God meets us when we turn Isn't he delighted when we finally repent and turn to him and confess, Lord, I have blown it. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. What does our Heavenly Father do? He's running to us. (laughs) You're coming to me, son. You're coming to me, daughter. Yes. Yes. So for those of you guys who are single here this morning, I want you to realize that being alone is not the same as being isolated, okay? When alone, you can still find peace with communion with God. Jesus often spent time alone with God. In a solitary life, okay, there is a necessity of, or it's not necessarily an isolated one, okay? Even in marriages, guys, how many husbands and wives are living together, but they're living isolated lives? This happens a lot. I've done a lot of marriage counseling, okay? And things can get hard, okay? Isolated lives, even within a home. I think it's what makes pornography so tempting, right? Scared of real relationships. Hard. (laughs) Real relationships take work. So a little bit of leaven does what, guys? Leaven's the whole lump, okay? I think accountability is a good thing for us as believers. Do you have a brother or sister? I would encourage probably two or three brothers or sisters that you can check in with on a regular basis to share life with, to be real with, to confess your sin with, that what? They can pray for you, right? They can speak into your life. So put a trusted friend that you can depend on Lord, are in your life to share with. Also, pull out the roots. You guys think it's really good for us to identify the problem? Yeah, because if we never identify, it's never going to be dealt with. So identify the problem, get some strategy on how to deal with it. So you're in an all-out war, okay? There are no neutral parties, guys. Satan hates you. He wants to take you down. So if lust isn't killed, you will be defeated. So what do we do? We burn it, throw it away, unplug it, dump it, flush it, block it, run from it. We live in a culture that is filled with sexual sewage. Okay, It is so hard for me to even find good entertainment to watch with my family because there is an agenda out there. And it's so hard, guys. It's everywhere. The temptations aren't going to subside. They're just going to get worse. So apathy is an open door for lust, okay, to take more territory. We as a church want to be there for one another, okay? This is a safe place for us that we can find encouragement in the Lord, that we can confess and be met with grace 
and pray for one another, to be there for one another. We're about done. Um, I read this book this last week. It's called From Dirty to Dancing. A local pastor that I know wrote this. And the cool thing about this book, you guys see how little it is? Okay. It heads, you know, it deals with pornography head on. Okay. And it's very precise. I loved the tone in which Pastor Mike wrote this. Okay. It was grace filled, but also it spoke truth. It spoke truth and love. I bought a bunch of copies this week. Okay. Whether you deal with pornography or not, I want you to take a copy. Okay. Uriah went through this with his eighth grade class in the last couple months, and they had some great discussion and just some of the insights that my 14-year-old now, he just turned 14, <laughs> um, <clears throat> just some strategy, just some very basic things from the Word of God in regards, in regards to sexual purity. This is a good thing. So if you're a parent, I would encourage you maybe to walk your kids through. I'd say if they're 11 years old, they're probably mature enough and being embarded by things of the world by then uh, that this would be a great book. So I'm going to hand these out in a moment. I'd like everyone, if you're a grandparent, parent, or a friend, it's one of those things I would encourage you to read and then probably have it there as a resource because this is something that's going on. I, it's our culture today. It's everywhere we look, okay? Um, and it's just good to have some tools on hand. So I want to close with a scripture from Psalm 101, and it's really an exhortation, verses 1 or 2, 3, and 4. It's an exhortation for us to choose holiness. It says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when you come to me, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the works of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me, and I will know nothing of evil. So remember, guys, forbidden fruit creates many jams. I'm not kidding, guys. So turn from your sin. Just turn and connect with God. Connect with him. So let's stand together. James tells us in chapter 5, verse 16, that if we confess our trespasses to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I want to let you guys know that I am available to you. I'm going to ask after service here that our elders, if the elders' wives would be uh, just making themselves available for prayer. If any of you guys need prayer or want a place to confess, uh, you can do that. I'm going to ask you guys all to go out that back door because I'm going to go over there with books and hand books to you guys as you leave today. Um, but again, I really want us to understand, okay, sometimes we think when it comes to, you know, sins that, hey, we are worthless, we're dirty, you know, and God wants nothing to do with me because of that. Do you guys know that that is the farthest thing from the truth? You are desired. You have so much worth in the eyes of your heavenly father. He loves you. And I think, I'm so thankful that he loves us enough, Lord, not to or leave us the way we are. He's in the business of making things new.
But a part of that, guys, we need to be real. We need to be in a place where we're willing to forsake and confess. I want to see each and every one of you and your families be prosperous. And I know God's ways are the ways we do it. So Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that we can take hard things head on. That your word is so clear. And as we just slow down to take it in and just consider what you say, we see that your ways are right. They are good. They make sense. You are you're good. Thank you for that. We thank you for your word this morning. I specifically want to pray, Lord, for our church family here. God, if there are those who are addicted to any, any sin, sexual sin, whatever, Lord, we know that you can set a person free, that the truth will set them free. So would you please, God, do a work within our hearts. Let us be honest that we can honestly deal with what's going on, that we'd be set free to be who you've called us to be, to do what you've called us to do. We're so sick of guilt and shame. Lord, you paid that debt. <laughs> you hung on that tree for a reason. God, we really can be forgiven. We want to be given to your purposes. We want to walk in holiness. God, and we know that you are there to help us. And we thank you so much for that. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for these guys. Just pray you bless them this week. Go before them. Establish our steps that we would walk with you and also walk in your ways. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 Cool.